1: my mother when I was knee-high. You've need of clothes to cover you, and not a rag have I. There's nothing in the house to make a boy breeches, nor shears to cut a cloth with, nor thread to take stitches. There's nothing in the house but a loaf end of rye, and a harp with a woman's head nobody will buy.
2: You are listening to the voice of Edna St. Vincent Millay reading The Ballad of the Harp Weaver, a page from this Sunday's edition of Anthology. This is Fleetwood, and today we're temporarily replacing our anthology theme with a familiar music that is so much a part of the spirit of the Christmas season. Each Sunday at 6.30, W.R.C.A., in cooperation with the Poetry Center of the YM and YWHA, 92nd Street and Lexington Avenue in Manhattan, brings you Anthology, a selection of readings from poets past and present, and the music to accompany their poetry. This week... Poetry for Christmas, by transcription, Edna St. Vincent Millay reading her beloved Ballad of the Harp Weaver, and Dylan Thomas' delightful and tender, A Child's Christmas in Wales, recorded, too, by the poet himself. From the poetic beauty of the gospel according to St. Luke, as told in the Holy Bible, we turn to the poetic beauty of another miracle wrought on another Christmas Eve. Although many people see in Edna St. Vincent Millay's Ballad of the Harp Weaver an imaginative or transposed tribute to her mother, the poem published in 1923, has come down through the years more as a tender and loving testimony of devotion and faith, the deep devotion of a mother for her son, the faith which is the very essence of Christmas itself. We're very happy to be able not only to bring the poem to you on our Christmas edition of Anthology, but to be able to bring it to you further enhanced by the magic of the poet's voice. Edna St. Vincent Millay reads, The Ballad of the Harp Weaver.
1: Son, said my mother, when I was knee-high, You've need of clothes to cover you, And not a rag, have I. There's nothing in the house to make a boy breeches, Nor shears to cut a cloth with, Nor thread to take stitches. There's nothing in the house but a loaf end of rye, And a harp with a woman's head nobody will buy. And she began to cry. That was in the early fall, when came the late fall. Son, she said, the sight of you makes your mother's blood crawl. Little skinny shoulder blades sticking through your clothes. And where you'll get a jacket from, God above knows. It's lucky for me, lad, your daddy's in the ground. And can't see the way I let his son go around. And she made a queer sound. That was in the late fall. When the winter came, I'd not a pair of bitches nor a shirt to my name. I couldn't go to school or out of doors to play. And all the other little boys passed our way. Son, said my mother, come climb into my lap. And I'll chafe your little bones while you take a nap. And oh, but we were silly for half an hour or more. Me with my long legs dragging on the floor. A rock, rock, rocking to a mother goose rhyme. Oh, but we were happy for half an hour's time. But there was I, a great boy. And what would folks say to hear my mother singing me to sleep all day in such a daft way? Men say the winter was bad that year. Fuel was scarce and food was dear. A wind with a wolf's head howled about our door. And we burned up the chairs and sat upon the floor. All that was left us was a chair we couldn't break. And the harp with a woman's head nobody would take for song or pity's sake. The night before Christmas, I cried with the cold. I cried myself to sleep like a two-year-old. And in the deep night, I felt my mother rise and stare down upon me with love in her eyes. I saw my mother sitting on the one good chair, a light falling on her from I couldn't tell where, looking 19 and not a day older, and the half with a woman's head "'Leaned against her shoulder. "'Her thin fingers moving in the thin, tall strings "'were weave, weave, weaving wonderful things. "'Many bright threads from where I couldn't see "'were running through the half-strings rapidly "'and gold threads whistling through my mother's hand. "'I saw the web grow and the pattern expand. "'She wove a child's jacket, and when it was done, she laid it on the floor and wove another one. She wove a red cloak, so regal to see. She's made it for a king's son. I said, and not for me, but I knew it was for me. She wove a pair of bitches quicker than that. She wove a pair of boots and a little cocked hat. She wove a pair of mittens. She wove a little blouse. She wove all night in the still, cold house. She sang as she worked. And the harp-strings spoke. Her voice never faltered... And the thread never broke. And when I awoke... There sat my mother... With the harp against her shoulder... Looking nineteen... And not a day older. A smile about her lips... And a light about her head. And her hands in the harp-strings... Frozen, dead. And piled up beside her... And toppling to the skies... Where the clothes of a king's son
2: just my size. Edna St. Vincent Millay reading The Ballad of the Harp Weaver on a recently reissued RCA Victor long-playing record. Our second Christmas story is also from an LP album. And we're extremely grateful to Barbara Cohen and Marion Roney of Cadman Records for granting us special permission to bring you A Child's Christmas in Wales as remembered written and spoken by the great Welsh poet, Dylan Thomas. There is little we can say as a preface to this magnificent and moving work other than that we strongly feel that as the years pass, it must surely take its place among the great Christmas classics of world literature. We invite you now to live again those warm and wonderful childhood memories to which we all cling so fondly. As Dylan Thomas relives... A Child's Christmas in Wales.
3: One Christmas was so much like the other in those years around the sea-town corner now. Out of all sound except the distant speaking of the voices I sometimes hear a moment before sleep. That I can never remember whether it snowed for six days and six nights when I was twelve, or whether it snowed for twelve days and twelve nights when I was six. All the Christmases rolled down towards the two-tongued sea, like a cold and headlong moon bundling down the sky that was our street. And they stop at the rim of the ice-edged, fish-freezing waves, and I plunge my hands in the snow and bring out whatever I can find. In goes my hand into that wool-white, bell-tongued ball of holidays resting at the rim of the carol-singing sea. And out come Mrs. Prothero and the firemen. It was on the afternoon of the day of Christmas Eve, and I was in Mrs. Prothero's garden, waiting for cats... With her son, Jim. It was snowing. It was always snowing at Christmas. December, in my memory, as white as Lapland, although there were no reindeers, But there were cats. Patient, cold, and callous, our hands wrapped in socks, we waited to snowball the cats. Sleek and long as jaguars and horrible whiskered, spitting and snarling, They would slide and sidle over the white back garden walls, and the lynx-eyed hunters, Jim and I, fur-capped and moccasined trappers from Hudson Bay off Mumble's Road would hurl our deadly snowballs at the green of their eyes. The wise cats never appeared. We were so still, Eskimo-footed Arctic marksmen in the muffling silence of the eternal snows, eternal ever since Wednesday, that we never heard Mrs. Prothero's first cry from her igloo at the bottom of the garden. Or, if we heard it at all, it was to us like the far-off challenge of our enemy and prey, the neighbor's polar cat. But soon the voice grew louder. Fire! cried Mrs. Prothero, and she beat the dinner gong. And we ran down the garden with the snowballs in our arms... ...towards the house... ...and smoke indeed was pouring out of the dining room... ...and the gong was bomboleting... ...and Mrs. Prothero was announcing ruin... ...like a town crier in Pompeii. This was better than all the cats in Wales... ...standing on the wall in a row. We bounded into the house laden with snowballs... ...and stopped at the open door of the smoke-filled room. Something was burning, all right... Perhaps it was Mr. Prothero who always slept there after midday dinner with a newspaper over his face. But he was standing in the middle of the room saying, A fine Christmas, and smacking at the smoke with a slipper. Call the fire brigade, cried Mrs. Prothero as she beat the gong. They won't be here, said Mr. Prothero. It's Christmas. There was no fire to be seen, only clouds of smoke, and Mr. Prothero standing in the middle of them waving his slipper as though he were conducting. Do something, he said, and we threw all our snowballs into the smoke. I think we missed Mr. Prothero and ran out of the house to the telephone box. Let's call the police as well, Jim said, and the ambulance, and Ernie Jenkins. He likes fires, but we only called the fire brigade, and soon the fire engine came and three tall men in helmets brought a hose into the house, and Mr. Prothero got out just in time before they turned it on. Nobody could have had a noisier Christmas Eve, and when the firemen turned off the hose and were standing in the wet, smoky room, Jim's aunt, Miss Prothero, came downstairs and peered in at them. Jim and I waited very quietly to hear what she would say to them. She said the right thing, always. She looked at the three tall firemen in their shining helmets, standing among the smoke and cinders and dissolving snowballs, and she said, Would you like anything to read? Years and years ago when I was a boy, when there were wolves in Wales and birds the colour of red flannel petticoats whisked past the harp-shaped hills, when we sang and wallowed all night and day in caves that smelt like Sunday afternoons in damp front farmhouse parlours, and we chased with the jawbones of deacons the English and the bears, before the motorcar, before the wheel, before the duchess-faced horse, When we rode the daft and happy hills bareback, it snowed and it snowed. But here a small boy says, it snowed last year too. I made a snowman and my brother knocked it down and I knocked my brother down and then we had tea. But that was not the same snow, I say. Our snow was not only shaken from whitewashed buckets down the sky. It came shawling out of the ground and swam and drifted out of the arms and hands and bodies of the trees. Snow grew overnight on the roofs of the houses like a pure and grandfather moss, minutely ivied the walls and settled on the postman opening the gate like a dumb, numb thunderstorm of white-torn Christmas cards. Were there postmen then, too? With sprinkling eyes and wind-cherried noses on spread, frozen feet, they crunched up to the doors and mittened on them manfully. But all that the children could hear was a ringing of bells. You mean that the postmen went rat-a-tat-tat and the doors rang? I mean that the bells that the children could hear were inside them. I only hear thunder sometimes, never bells. There were church bells, too. Inside them? No, 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 in the bat-black, snow-white belfries... ...tugged by bishops and storks. And they rang their tidings over the bandaged town... ...over the frozen foam, over the powder and ice-cream hills... ...over the crackling sea. It seemed that all the churches boomed for joy under my window... ...and the weathercocks crew for Christmas on our fence... Get back to the postman. They were just ordinary postmen, fond of walking and dogs and Christmas and the snow. They knocked on the doors with blue knuckles. Ours has got a black knocker. And then they stood on the white welcome mat in the little drifted porches and huffed and puffed, making ghosts with their breath and jogged from foot to foot like small boys wanting to go out. And then the present? And then the presents after the Christmas box. And the cold postman with a rose on his button nose tingled down the tea-tray slithered run of the chilly, glinting hill. He went in his ice-boned boots like a man on fishmonger's slabs. He wagged his bag like a frozen camel's hump, dizzily turned the corner on one foot, and by God he was gone. Get back to the present. There were the useful presents, engulfing mufflers of the old coach days, and mittens made for giant sloths, Zebra scarves of a substance like silky gum that could be tug-a-war down to the galoshes. Blinding o like patchwork tea cozies, and bunny-suited busbies and balaclavas for victims of head-shrinking tribes. From aunts who always wore wool next to the skin, there were moustached and rasping vests that made you wonder why the aunts had any skin left at all. And once I had a little crocheted nosebag from an aunt now, alas, no longer whinnying with us. And pictureless books in which small boys, though warned with quotations not to, would skate on Farmer Giles's pond and did and drowned, And books that told me everything about the wasp, except why. Go on to the useless presents. Bags of moist and many-colored jelly babies, and a folded flag and a false nose and a tram conductor's cap, and a machine that punched tickets and rang a bell. Never a catapult. Once, by a mistake that no one could explain, a little hatchet and a celluloid duck that made, when you pressed it, a most unduck-like sound, a mewing moo that an ambitious cat might make who wished to be a cow, and a painting book in which I could make the grass, the trees, the sea, and the animals any color I please, and still the dazzling sky-blue sheep are grazing in the red field under the rainbow were billed and pea-green birds. Hard-boils, toffee, fudge, and all sorts. Crunches, cracknel, humbugs, glaciers, marzipan, and butter Welsh for the Welsh. And troops of bright tin soldiers who, if they could not fight, could always run. And snakes and families and happy ladders, and easy hobby games for little engineers, complete with instructions. Oh, easy for Leonardo. And a whistle to make the dogs bark, to wake up the old man next door, to make him beat on the wall with his stick, to shake our picture off the wall. And a packet of cigarettes. You put one in your mouth and you stood at the corner of the street and you waited for hours in vain for an old lady to scold you for smoking a cigarette and then with a smirk you ate it. Not many of those mornings trod the piling streets. An old man, always fawn bowlered, yellow-gloved, And at this time of year, with spats of snow, Would take his constitutional to the white bowling green, And back, as he would take it wet, or fire, on Christmas day, or doomsday. Sometimes two hale young men, with big pipes blazing, No overcoats and wind-blown scarves, Would trudge unspeaking down to the forlorn sea, To work up an appetite to blow away the fumes, who knows, To walk into the waves until nothing of them was left, ...but the two curling smoke clouds of their inextinguishable briars. Then I would be slap-dashing home... ...the gravy smell of the dinners of others... ...the bird smell, the brandy, the pudding... ...and mince coiling up to my nostrils... ...when out of a snow-clogged side lane... ...would come a boy, the spit of myself... ...with a pink-tipped cigarette and the violet past of a black eye... ...cocky as a bullfinch, leering all to himself... I hated him on sight and sound and would be about to put my dog whistle to my lips and blow him off the face of Christmas when suddenly he, with a violet wink, put his whistle to his lips and blew so stridently, so high, so exquisitely loud that gobbling faces, their cheek bulged with goose, would press against their tinseled windows the whole length of the white echoing street. For dinner, we had turkey and blazing pudding, and after dinner, the uncles sat in front of the fire, loosened all buttons, put their large, moist hands over their watch chains, groaned a little, and slept. Mothers, aunts, and sisters scuttled to and fro bearing tureens. Aunt Bessie, who had already been frightened twice by a clockwork mouse, whimpered at the sideboard and had some elderberry wine. The dog was sick. "'Auntie Dursey had to have three aspirins, "'but Auntie Hannah, who liked port, "'stood in the middle of the snowbound backyard, "'singing like a big bosomed thrush. "'I would blow up balloons to see how big they would blow up to, "'and then when they burst, which they all did, "'the uncles jumped and rumbled. "'Or I would go out, my bright new boots "'squeaking into the white world onto the seaward hill "'to call on Jim and Dan and Jack.' And to pad through the still streets, leaving huge, deep footprints on the hidden pavements. Let's post Mr. Daniel a snowball through his letterbox. Let's write things in the snow. Let's write, Mr. Daniel looks like a spaniel, all over his lawn. Or well, we walked on the white shore. Can the fishes see it snowing? The silent, one clouded heavens drifted onto the sea. Now we were snow blind travellers lost on the north hills, and vast dew lapped dogs with flasks round their necks ambled and shambled up to us, baying excelsior. We returned home through the poor streets, wherein their few children fumbled with bare red fingers in the wheel rutted snow and cat called after us, their voices fading away as we trudged uphill into the cries of the dock birds and the hooting of ships out in the whirling bay. And then, at tea, the recovered uncles would be jolly, and the ice cake loomed in the center of the table like a marble grave. Auntie Hannah laced her tea with rum, because it was only once a year. Bring out the tall tales now that we told by the fire as the gaslight bubbled like a diver. Ghosts wooed like owls in the long nights when I dared not look over my shoulder. Animals lurked in the cubbyhole under the stairs where the gas meter ticked. And I remember that we went singing carols once, when there wasn't the shaving of a moon to light the flying streets. At the end of a long road was a drive that led to a large house, and we stumbled up the darkness of the drive that night, each one of us afraid, each one holding a stone in his hand, in case, and all of us too brave to say a word. The wind through the trees made noises as of old and unpleasant and maybe web-footed men wheezing in caves. We reached the black bulk of the house. What shall we give them? Hark the Herald? No, Jack said. Good King Winceless. I'll count three. One, two... Free, and we began to sing, our voices high and seemingly distant in the snow-felted darkness, round the house that was occupied by nobody we knew. We stood close together near the dark door. Good King wenceslas last looked out on the feast of Stephen. And then a small, dry voice like the voice of someone who has not spoken for a long time, joined our singing. A small, dry, eggshell voice from the other side of the door. A small, dry voice through the keyhole. And when we stopped running, we were outside our house. The front room was lovely. Balloons floated under the hot water bottle, gulping gas. Everything was good again and shone over the town. Perhaps it was a ghost, Jim said. Perhaps it was Trolls, Dan said, who was always reading. Let's go in and see if there's any jelly left, Jack said. And we did that. Always on Christmas night there was music. An uncle played the fiddle, a cousin sang Cherry Ripe, and another uncle sang Drake's drum. It was very warm in the little house. Auntie Hannah, who had got onto the parsnip wine, sang a song about bleeding hearts and death, and then another in which she said her heart was like a bird's nest. And then everybody laughed again, and then I went to bed. Looking through my bedroom window, out into the moonlight and the unending smoke-coloured snow, I could see the lights in the windows of all the other houses on our hill, and hear the music rising from them up the long, steadily falling night. I turned the gas down. I got into bed. I said some words to the close and holy darkness. And then I slept.
2: number 42. Next week, a visit from an English actress. A visit with an American poet and teacher. When our guests will be Miss Peggy Ashcroft and Dr. Johann Egglesrud, author of the vantage book of poems, The Thinking Heart. Anthology comes to you transcribed in conjunction with the Poetry Center of the YM and YWHA in New York, John Malcolm Brennan, director. On Tuesday, December 28th at the Poetry Center, Robert Lowell and Carl Shapiro. On Wednesday, December 29th, John Crow Ransom reads from his works with commentary. Until next Sunday at this same time, this is Fleetwood speaking for the Anthology staff and wishing you a very merry Christmas.